So you will go into the pharmacy if you ever go, because now everything is online, and you will not buy a physical product only. You will actually be buying the digital companion for this product. Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. Let's start. A very warm welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest for today's episode, Dr. Leo Martinez. Leo is one of the founders of Colorimetrics, the mobile health tech company behind Pearl Fertility. Pearl Fertility is the first app to be approved as a medical device to monitor and chart all important hormones of the menstrual cycle at home and help women with their fertility decisions. Leo obtained his PhD in biotechnology from the University of Cambridge and has written dozens of peer-reviewed papers, couple of book chapters and holds a number of patents in the field of mobile diagnostics. Leo was named as top innovator of the year under 35 by the MIT Technology Review in 2014. He has review he has received numerous awards for the startup venture Colorimetrics founded in the city of Munich in Germany. Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast Leo. I look forward to hearing all about Colorimetrics and the Pearl Fertility app. Uh, thank you for the kind introduction. I'm, I'm I'm happy to be here and happy to tell you more about our venture and how we're helping women trying to conceive to get pregnant fast. Wonderful. So Leo, my first question to you is what does Colorimetrics do and how did it all start? So uh, Colorimetrics, uh, it's a technology that helps us read and interpret colors um, out of the environment in a, in a numerical way. So we measure and quantify colors. And you might think, okay, but why is that useful? Why do I need to know how much of X color I have in front of me? So maybe for photographing, it's uh, not so interesting, but for medical applications that require the analysis of uh, solutions or color changes in chemical reactions uh, becomes much more important to have a precise quantitative measurement of the color you see. Uh, yeah, so it, it all started because I, I broke a spectrometer in the lab that I was working while I was doing my PhD. I broke one of the, these machines and they're very expensive, big pieces of equipment uh, that are not easy to substitute. So I say, okay, maybe I can rebuild it myself or find the pieces and repair it. And then I realized that actually the components that you have on those machines are actually the same components that you have in your mobile phone. At that time in 2013, 2014, even 2010, I think when, when, when I started thinking about this, uh, the phones were different. Uh, the, we've seen an evolution into like the camera specs and the things that the phone camera can do that it just gets better and better and better. So it's basically a, a light sensor, a CMOS sensor, or a CCD sensor at that time, and a computer. And that's exactly what the spectrum photometer was. The only difference is that uh, those machines in the lab can split the light in, into, into, into very small wavelength fractions. 
whereas a phone cannot. But a phone has filters on the on sensor that allow you to detect different colors very accurately. So it's not as precise as a laboratory equipment or a machine in the lab, but we can actually get some qual quant quantitative measurements out of a phone that are helpful for biochemistry analysis, for environmental analysis, etc. So this is how colorimetrics came to be. The name is also very simple. We measure colors, so colorimetrics, with just with an X at the end. So I wasn't really thinking that this was going to turn into a venture at that time. I just wanted to innovate. I just wanted to find a solution for a problem. But here we are a couple of years later, uh, uh, actually having the technology apply for fertility. So we, we, yeah, we, we, we put all that and package all that tech into helping women trying to conceive by helping them check their fertility at home. Mm -hmm. That's quite interesting. So uh, as you mentioned about like how women can check the fertility and this kind of brings me to my next question. What is this Pearl Fertility app and what was the motivation, you know, behind it? Um, yes. So the Pearl Fertility app allows any women test to for different hormones at home and the hormones that we use uh, in the app are follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, and progesterone. So these three hormones regulate and dictate how the menstrual cycle is going to be. They also predict and check when the ovulation is going to happen. And based on the ovulation and the extent of the cycle, we can find very accurately what is called the fertile window. So the app, it's basically a little computer lab that you carry, and it's very similar to the period apps that already exist in the app stores or Play Store, uh, but we just added science and technology to those apps that otherwise are, uh, they're very nice, they give a nice indication and they help women track certain aspects of the cycle, but I think they lack to show the certainty of a measurement that is something coming from the inside of the body, and 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 so 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 they can have a, a medical approach to their cycles and fertility at home using our app. Um, so the motivation behind it was to actually, uh, yeah, help bringing this knowledge into a topic that it's very. Um, it's very women-centric, so you don't see many guys talking about it because it's not something that concerns them. But it's something that happens every day for every woman. And we guys, we just don't have that information registered in our brain because we just don't have it. We don't experience it. And it's also not something people is talking about all the time. Um, and, 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 you know, it's like, why? Why is there no any effort uh, put into that on a more general level? And of course, it's because this uh, traditional way of seeing the menstrual cycle. But more and more nowadays, there is more information out there. And of course, we've been like technical guys, coding, etc. So it was just natural to to put that knowledge into that field, which is also uh, a very interesting market. Also, we had female colleagues that were pitching the idea, like, yeah, we should really do this and focus on that. And you know, I grew up around women, so I know like this topic is in the air for me. Uh, you know, since early, early ages, even if I didn't want to know or didn't want to hear, you know, the topic is always there. So I, I knew that this is a big topic and, and here we are, perfect to it.
Your story is very inspiring and it is a very novel in, uh, initiative by you. Uh, so Leo, can you tell us more about the algorithm this app uses and uh, how does it different? How is it different from the other um, ovulation kits which are available in the market? Yes, of course. So um, what you find in the market nowadays is either apps that help you track your menstrual cycle with uh, revising, for example, the, the days when the, when the period comes and mainly based on statistics. And on the other hand, you find um, ovulation prediction kits, which are test strips um, or like similar to the pregnancy test that you find in the pharmacy. There are big brands there you can find on the shelf. Like I want an ovulation test, I want a pregnancy test, same brands. Uh, but these tests only give you like a happy face interpretation, like a positive negative approach. So we say, okay, so those apps lack the accuracy of a hormonal measurement and these tests lack the convenience and intelligence of an app. So we just decided to put it together. So that's what makes our, our technology and our app different and stronger than those technologies out there uh, which exist separated. So, of course, we added intelligence to this approach. So we not only... Uh, collect or detect the hormone measurement concentrations from these tests. We actually, with our color measuring technology, transform them into, into levels that can be recorded over time. So over time along the cycle, you can see how actually the hormones go up and down. And this is new. Like, this is something like you really cannot find any other solution out there that does this. So on top of that, we added even more intelligence by finding algorithms that can actually analyze these hormone patterns to actually do early predictions of certain events of the cycle, mainly the ovulation. So these algorithms uh, analyze the hormonal trends and how they're going up or they're going down, and they can give predictions in advance, for example, up, up to six, six days in, in advance. And this is important because the fertile days, most people don't know, but the days with the highest chance of getting pregnant are the days second, third, and fourth before the ovulation. So it's very important and key to find ovulation to know when actually the real high fertile days. And so, so with our app, so we can find these trends and predict ovulation earlier so that we can actually tell when the real fertile window starts before it actually starts. And this is really important for the women that are really trying to, to conceive, for example, to time the ovulation properly. Uh, we also, of course, have women that are not interested in conceiving so much, but they uh, want to be aware of their fertility and when, what's happening when in the cycle. And they really want more knowledge about their cycle and when ovulation happens. And they are aware of how, how long the ovule leaves. It lives for like around 24 hours. And then after that, it cannot be fecting dated. And it's produced at the ovulation date. So all this information just empowers women taking control on their fertility. So uh, you mentioned about strips and like, you know, like a usual pregnancy test. Uh, does this app use some special kind of strips or it is compatible with the old strips which are available in the market? Um, that's a great question. So in principle, we could read any type of street, including like the big brand ones. But um, we have to calibrate the app because itself it's a medical device. So it's designed to work specifically with the tests that we provide or that we calibrate the app with. So we sell the kits ourselves. Uh, 
and we make sure that they have the quality we need, the dimensions we need, the timing of the test that we need, because every manufacturer introduces certain variances in their test or differences that then we have to account for all of them. So we decided to standardize the process. So the app works with our tests. We have pregnancy tests, we have uh, progesterone tests, we have LH tests, luteinizing hormone, we have FSH test, follicle stimulating hormone. So we cover the entirety of the cycle. Uh, you mentioned something about you know measuring the hormone levels. So uh, my question is like, how does it protect the privacy of the customers? Does the algorithm collect any other part- information, or do you have to sign up when you are uh, and give some details? Um, very specific details when you are, you know, getting the app or stuff like that? Actually, we, we are based in Europe and, you know, they're very strict with the new regulations regarding personal data and data transmission. So we decided to not acquire any personal identifiable information. We do not ask the users for a name. We do not ask the user for an email address. They don't have to sign up. It's an app that interacts with them in an anonymous, pseudonymous manner. So the user can actually, uh, it gets an ID uh, because we need an ID to, to know like which app is which, etc. But there is no personal identifiable information. Nevertheless, of course, there is hormone information in the app, which is medical data. And medical data is personal information. So that belongs to the user, but it's all pseudonymized, anonymized. So there is no way we know like who the user are of course the user can share their data for example with the doctor by making a screen capture or sharing the 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 chart that they get in the app Uh, we cannot stop them from doing that but we ourselves do not have um, a data capturing mechanism for getting a personal information Um, and also we we really do not need it because uh, our customers, our users, um, know where to find us and they know, uh, we know how to find them as well. Uh, so we don't need to know who they are, what their name is. And yeah, there are geographical information we get by default. We know like where the apps are getting downloads. So like, okay, this city or this country, but nothing personal, no. Uh, does it also help in you know like getting to know about other conditions like maybe PCOS or other uh, issues? Once you know your hormone profile and once you know how a healthy normal hormone profile should look like, then you can actually see if there are patterns outside of the norm, or if you were never aware that that there could be some patterns different or out of the norm that could be affecting your cycle or your fertility. Uh, you could see those things there, yes. In principle, we could also um, enrich the app uh, with algorithms that help with this. However, there is a very fine line and difference between an app that provides information and an app that gives diagnosis. If the moment we uh, decide to say, okay, you have this condition, then we are transforming our app into something that actually tells you whether you're sick or not. And, and, and this has uh, implications from the regulatory point of view. So most people in telemedicine uh, think that apps could be giving you health status. And it's not that they can't. It's about the responsibility, right? So who takes responsibility for the diagnosis? Typically, a doctor uh, swears you know, to protect the health and their form for taking not only the knowledge and apply it to the patient, but also taking the responsibility, right, of their judgment. 
therefore, uh, we believe that uh, the role of the doctor is always there and should be present. It's not that it is not possible. Um, we might introduce later in the future with the with with the clinical studies validate our app to find certain conditions. Uh, but for now, we let it to the users and the doctors. We only help the doctors to get closer to the users by helping them do something they otherwise have to go to a lab or have tedious blood sam samples taken so that they can do it at home. So we bring the lab and the clinic to the patient so that the doctors and patients together can, can figure this out for the moment. In the future, we might get into the diagnostics um, arena in, in a more strong way. Mm -hmm. uh, so how long do you think, like how long does uh, the kit take, you know, to, to see some results? Like how long should you use Paul and the kit together before one can see some kind of result? So you can see results uh, from the first day you start using it because you can start seeing your hormonal uh, profile and patterns from, from, from the first day and every day. And for that cycle that you used it, the app analyzes your hormone trends in real time. So it finds where you are in your cycle and the ovulation for that particular cycle immediately. Uh, of course, you can also use it for, for a couple of months. And the things that get better is, for example, the cycle length, rather than estimating a cycle length that you don't know how long it's going to take. Uh, it, the, the app uses your previous cycle that data and the predictions just get better. But we know that every cycle is different and every woman is different. Therefore, it only matters what you're measuring in that particular cycle in terms of hormones because this cycle may be longer than the previous one. So it doesn't matter how the other ones really behave. It, it helps for statistics. But if you really want to have a precise determination of your ovulation based on your current hormonal trend, then it has to be real time. So you see results from month and cycle one. That's quite fast. Um, so my next question is like, is there any specific time, you know, at which like the test should be done or uh, it, it doesn't depend and it can be done at any time of the day? It can just show you the hormonal profile that time. Yeah, we recommend the test to be done in the morning um, because the hormones are actually pulsatile. Uh, they are very connected to the circadian rhythms. So when you are asleep, uh, the pulsations are more frequent. So there is more uh, homogeneous uh, production of the hormone. So it's, it's a nice way to have a baseline of what was accumulated during sleep, which tends to be more constant than if you do it during the day. That's what the tests are done with first morning urine. Um, it's possible to do it in the afternoon, of course, but that introduces a little bit of error. So the more consistent you do the measurements, so the better the predictions will get. So we recommend to do the test uh, first morning, um, the first term with the first morning urine, and and that should give more accurate results. Wow, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, well, uh, are you also planning to add some more functionality into the Pearl app or you're planning to, you know, put uh, like more um, to develop another app for more set of hormones or stuff like that? Yes, actually, we just, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we also have progesterone, but this is some test that we didn't have before. We just actually launched it 
for our own app uh, a couple of weeks ago. So now you can add progesterone to the app. But of course, it's the same app. We just added an extra test. Uh, we have plans to, to, to make the app more useful for certain conditions. As you mentioned, PCOS or or other conditions that imply uh, this, this disruption in the normal hormonal profile patterns. So we are trying to get our app to be more useful for those conditions. So, but it would be the same app, rather an extension or modification. Uh, if it really changes completely because the usage is different, then we might also uh, consider developing a new app we're also partnering with big companies that are interested in our technology and have stronger brands in the feminine care uh, or in 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 in, uh, in, uh, in in other retail uh, environments, and and then we might see our technology also elsewhere. But for now, um, it's 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 all around the same app. We're trying to build a constellation of add-ons and 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 features and usages that are. Uh, feeding information into the main app so that the main app continues getting stronger. Uh, we have, of course, uh, the possibility to use the core technology, colorimetrics, into other applications for other purposes, for example, uh, water testing, etc. But uh, for now, we are not pursuing those projects because we discovered that there is so much to do in the fertility field and, and cycle tracking that we are focusing 100% on, on, on Femtech at the moment. That's amazing. That is a very uh, interesting uh, field and I'm sure there's a lot to do and find out still. Um, you know, like listening to you, um, I uh, just a thought came to my mind. Can this technology, like not directly, but somehow you know, uh, help women which are, you know, towards menopausal stage also, uh, you know, monitor their hormonal profiles because like a lot of uh, uh, problems in women occur, you know, during that time, like when they are at the menopausal stage. Yes. So uh, the app is made at the moment to give fertility predictions and find the fertile window based on a regular hormonal profile, right? So the predictions will be off. Uh, because the hormones behave differently in menopause. However, we do have users that use our app for tracking their hormones uh, and how they are really getting changed during menopause. And so the predictions are, uh, say, not perhaps not as useful for fertile days, but uh, it's very useful for them to see how their hormones oscillate and change because then they can anticipate uh, certain aspects, for example, we know that uh, there is uh, very particular particular hormonal changes when hot flashes come, right? Which is a common symptom of menopause. So, um, yeah, women use it in a different, slightly different way to monitor their hormones and anticipate um, changes during menopause. So, this is an app which is there for like women of all uh, age groups. That's 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 right. Yes. Wonderful. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website, 
It's pmedcast.com. The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. Uh, so, Leo, what have been the biggest challenges in developing this app or, you know, the whole process of reaching to this point? I think the biggest challenge we have faced is the certification process and regulatory approvals. That's something that we were not expecting to be so overwhelming. We knew that it was tedious. We knew that there was work to do. And we also think that we can do the work. It's not something impossible. But facing the regulatory frameworks and the complications they come with was something really challenging. It's, made, it's not difficult. I think everyone with the will can actually get a medical device certified. But it's a very sometimes even obscure process of what rules you have to follow um, and how you have to interpret them. And there are like many consultants out there and everyone has an opinion. At the end, you have to read the regulation and figure out for yourself what exactly it means. And if there are questions, then ask directly to the regulatory bodies. Um, but even then, we, we receive answers some of the kind of it's up to the authorities to interpret the meaning of this law. So we cannot tell you what exactly we meant with that word or answers like that, you know. So we are kind of left in the gray because then you have to go back to the authority and they're like, well, we are approving. We are not giving you the advice you need. You need a consultant. So then it gets a bit tricky. And that was really challenging for us, especially coming from the technology side, right? Uh, but we managed. So we succeeded. We managed to get our app uh, certified in Europe with the CE mark. Uh, we have our app also listed, uh, registered at the FDA. So we are very proud of having an app being certified as a medical device together with the tests and the tests themselves also registered and certified. Uh, so we are happy to be pioneering in the um, medical digital solutions or digital medicine, digital apps for medicine, uh, particularly in the the area of MTech. So it was a big challenge, but it it is done. Wonderful. That's that's really good to know that it's it's behind you now. So, uh, Leo, like as you mentioned, that the whole idea of uh, starting up Calorimetrics and the app it came from breaking a instrument in the lab. Um, I I hope that you don't uh, give the same suggestion to the PhDs or postdocs who kind of want to venture into the startup space. What would be your advice to such people? That's that's a great question. I I'm not sure I can give advice on how to do it because I think it just happens. Um, some people think that uh, one decides to uh, to to start um, the entrepreneurial route, and some people I've seen them trying. I want to be an entrepreneur. I I want to do it, and 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 they start thinking about the idea, and 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 some of them focus on the business models. Um, and 
for me, it just happened. So I, I'm not quite sure I can, I can advise. But what I can certainly tell is that for someone coming from the sciences, a PhD or a postdoc, I think the best advice I can give if they really want to do something like this is just to follow a passion for a problem that they have and they want to solve. Because having a technical and scientific formation certainly helps in finding solutions. Uh, being an entrepreneur or developing something it's that you turn into a product, it's mainly finding solutions to problems. And, and of course, there is the, the marketing and business modeling and all that. So a little bit of how to do financial planning, maybe it's important. It's something I still struggle with myself uh, uh, this late in the venture. But, but it's just, just try to solve the problem of someone and try to solve a problem that attains to a lot of people. And of course, you will find uh, hurdles on the road, but just keep doing it and keep, keep putting the effort and the hours into it. And eventually you will see that it, you have a product that can be sold. So that would be my advice. And, and of course, you know, at some point they will realize that they don't have time for their scientific career anymore or their postdoc. And, and they will just suddenly, you know, they say, decide, okay, this is actually taking all my time. And I can see there is some prospects, economic prospects to, to actually leave what I'm doing and take on this one. And there might be ha hard times as well, economically speaking. But that would be my my advice. Like, go for it, and you will figure the other things later. I myself was doing a postdoc when I jumped into this venture, so I know how it is to be in the academic world. I know that you still have to do a lot of work to get your grants and to get your money for your science. So similarly, you can put all that effort into getting something that can be sold, so that later on you can you can have a product. So I think it's it's mainly that what I would say for uh, PhDs and, and postdocs that are thinking on maybe, you know, jumping into this world. Um, I would say never leave your scientific uh, skills behind because they will continue to continue be useful uh, along a career like this. That's great piece of advice. So you mentioned about fundings and, you know, venture uh, capitalists. So what is your advice or how difficult was it for you in that direction, like getting funding? Yes. So I would say it's very similar to having to, uh, to apply for a grant um, because there are most of the time funding available for startups or ventures that are starting that is linked to government or organizations or startups and accelerators, as you mentioned. So there is some funding available for you there. So it's not so different as applying for a grant for a postdoc or a research project, except that it's easier because it's less complex in terms of the knowledge that you have to intricately build around a problem that you want to solve. In a research grant, you're applying for like something has to be new in terms of like new, new, new for the entire world because it's research, right? You have to push the boundaries of knowledge. Whereas here, you don't really push the boundaries of knowledge. You rather push the boundaries of the market. So this is new because nobody's selling it and everyone needs it. So it's a different approach. So it's more like selling something that actually everyone wants uh, and not something that just a group or a research group or a research institute wants. Right. So that's difference, I think, but it's it's pretty similar. And on the other hand, you have private invest investing, right? 
that is really different. That is something I really had to learn, completely different to what it was from academia. So in that case, presentations are really flashy. The storytelling is key. So it's not just about showing the problem, the solution, and the engineering behind and all the technology. It's all about the storytelling. You have to tell a very compelling story, compelling story that actually uh, finds a niche in a market that everyone wants to have, and 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 prove later on with numbers that it will actually work. So storytelling, beautiful colors, appeal to the feelings um, is something that you need in order to get uh, to the to the VC uh, funding. And of course, the market has to be has to make a lot of sense. Some investors will actually like the idea, the technology, but some others would like more like, okay, uh, can I make 10 times my investment out of this or not? And then you start playing a different type of, 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 of game in which you are not only pitching the idea, the technology and, and the market, but you're actually pitching the growth of an idea, technology and market. And this is when dynamics start becoming a bit more different and it's more about the financials rather than the idea and the technology. So yeah, it's a combination of, of that. And my advice would be just to, yeah, uh, open Google and say, okay, how busy works, uh, apply to an accelerator if they're already in that path and, and, and they will find the answer they need. Great. So, uh, Leo, what do you think is the future of uh, such uh, personalized uh, hormone measurement kits or, you know, or I would say, where do you see pearl fertility in the next 10 years? So we are trying to substitute a currently widely available technology that you find everywhere in the pharmacies. And you can buy these tests, as I say, but they're not digital. I mean, they have the word digital there because they use some kind of electronic Tamagotchi around it. But for us, that's not digital. You know, digital for us and millennials means actually apps connected to the internet. So slowly we have introduced um, some something you buy in a pharmacy or you buy as a physical kit, but you're actually buying a digital product. So we are basically selling a digital product in a pharmacy. And I think this is where the world is going. I think this is where most things are going to turn. So you will go into the pharmacy if you ever go, because now everything is online, and you will not buy a physical product only. You will actually be buying the digital companion for this product. So this is what we want to do. We want to substitute this old-fashioned way of uh, approaching uh, things that you buy for your health, and you actually buy digital products for health. Um, so I see Pearl taking over this uh, market of fertility testing or fertility monitoring, um, bringing digital to the analog world. Um, and I hope that Pearl serves as an example of getting this done for many other fields of medicine and that is possible and, and it encourages like uh, digital health entrepreneurs or digital health enthusiasts to actually try and go and substitute every single product with a digital solution. That's, that's really good, um, you know, farsight on the whole topic. So Leo, before I let you go, could you tell us how our audience could reach you online? So uh, please visit uh, pearlfertility.app. And there you will find our website, uh, how to download the app, 
Uh, you can also follow us uh, in our social media channels at Perfertility on Instagram and Twitter and at Perfertility.app on Facebook. We are very active on Instagram sharing educational tips about fertility, the menstrual cycle, how the hormones work. We have uh, promotions and information about the kids. Um, you can also, of course, uh, reach us via the email on the website or contact form in case you have further questions regarding the technology or would like to know more about what we're doing in other areas. So please reach out and that's where you can find us. Wonderful. I hope our viewers have taken good note of the where, the possible ways to contact you and I'm sure you will be re, uh, you will be list, you'll be hearing from them very soon. Um in the before uh, I again finish this podcast I would like to thank you Leo for your time and for your sharing with us all your journey with Calorimetrics and the Pearl Fertility app. Thank you very much. Thank you. A pleasure to be here and talking about what we like doing. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's p-m-e-d-c-a-s-t dot com. And engage with us on social media, where we regularly share the news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast. Or use our handle, PMATCAST. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show, write us an email to team at pmatcast.com. Have a great day and until next time.